Welcome to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast, the podcast that shows you how to build a world-class service business from the dirt up. And now your host, Mark Stoner. Hello and welcome to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast. Thank you for joining me again this week. I, uh, I want to start reviewing the book. Uh, that is called Extreme Ownership. It's a little bit of an older book. We talked about that book a lot. And I want to go back over that as far as the lessons because a lot of books, just because you've read them once or even done an exercise in them once, doesn't mean you're really done with them. And some of these can kind of become almost a manual for you to go back and forth with your company. So several years ago when I talked about Extreme Ownership, uh, it's it's basically, if you don't know, it's a couple Navy SEALs, Jocko Wilnick and Leif Babin, and they go through the book and basically it teaches you how to own your mistakes all the way through. And a couple years ago, I, the first time I ever read the book or listened to it, and I came to my guys, I said, listen to it, and a couple did, and Again, you get you get a little bit of traction on it. And I remember one of my guys, who's no longer with me, is like, after a little while, whenever there was a problem, he would just say, yeah, I know this is all my fault. I know i got to own this, but... And then he'd start pointing fingers again, where he really did not get the gist of the, you know, of the book and, and really the message. And so... Today, I may do a multi-series on it. I've said it before. I'm like, I'm going to do a multi-series, and then I do one. And uh, Alan Rush has said that before. He's like, I thought there was going to be multiple steps on this, and sometimes I just do one, and I get a different idea next week. And So if there's anything on this show, you know that my my content is fresh to the week. I mean, literally, it's it's what's happened this week. And I have to say uh, on a couple notes before I get going that we – have raised, I think it's close to $8,000 now for the Ukraine effort. And in some ways, that's a lot for us. In other ways, it's a drop in the bucket and it's not much. But, you know, it's something that we could do. And 100% of if you decide to help us, and a lot of chimney companies have, a lot of people have, period. It's unbelievable what's happening. We're putting 100%, 100% of the uh, revenue from it goes to buying these uh, improved first aid kits. And thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, there's people buying tons of them, too. It's amazing. Like, a lot of times when we have orders, it's like a couple of boxes or something. And people are, like, we have a, one lady tomorrow is buying, buying 40 boxes. And people are buying 6 and 10 boxes. And it's really great. If you want to help, the website is poppyandpeep.com. And just click on the Ukraine, you know, effort and all of that goes to a really good cause. So thank you for the support on that. Um, so this week, I lost, you know, on Friday of last week, I lost a senior guy. Uh, not lost like dead, just quit. And it was it was pretty tough and a bit emotional. And, um, you know, he listens to this podcast. And, you know, in fact, when we were, you know, when we were saying, you know, we were kind of, Closing out our, you know, the situation, you know, he, he sent up, you know, a copy of my podcast because he listens to it. And again, Kevin's a good guy and um, I'll miss him and, and I want him to do well. And, you know, for me, I'm excited for the next step for us. I'm excited to 
take what we did and learn from it and say, this was good, this was bad, and make a new role. And and we will grow from it. In fact, the funny thing is, whenever you lose somebody like that, there's some people that are like, oh, that's scary. And then some people are like, heck yeah, man, that's great. And then all of a sudden they start unloading on all the problems. And and, and that happens too. When, when Kevin left, he had you know, some, some, some parting shots as to what was wrong with our, with our thing. And, and, you know, that made, that led me to go back over extreme ownership. Cause you know, my point was, Hey, thank you for all of the knowledge about what we're not good at. But in that you didn't say anything you were bad at, or you should have done better to help the situation. And, this isn't a thing on him. It's a thing on all of us. I, t- I said this to my whole group because I was very mad the following week. Uh, and I've, I've been super serious coming back because I try to be a nice guy and try to be a good guy. And that works for a while. But you have to also be able to get be upset and everybody listen to you. And that's part of good leadership that at the end of the day, this is all my fault. Whatever happens good or bad is my fault. So if there's a lot of bad stuff happening, it's either I'm allowing it to happen or I'm I'm not seeing it. I'm allowing it to happen. I'm not doing something about it. So that's what I really want to talk about in today's podcast about extreme ownership. And I'm just going to take it. I may take a chapter, you know, a few chapters at a time for a few weeks. I hope you like it. Even if you've read the book, I think my take on the lessons in the book and then translate it into how we do it every day may be a beneficial little series of podcasts. So, and it helps give me a topic for a while too, you know, because sometimes I got, I do two shows a week, a Facebook live show and then this podcast, and I don't want them always to be the same, but also you got to have content every week. And that sometimes that can be tough to have something to talk about that people care about. So I'm going to go down this kind of a book review with you. And if you haven't, I highly recommend you download the book and read it. If it's been a while since you've downloaded it and listened to it or read it, do it, read it again. If you're in a leadership position, there's some things in there that you really you know, shouldn't lose or need to refresh on. A lot of these, you know, seals, books and stuff kind of, they're, you know, they're pretty full of macho, brave guys, but I always enjoy them. I've read Lone Survivor. I read um, American Sniper. I've read, you know, several of those kind of books, and I'm always fascinated by, you know, just what they go through and what they're willing to go through and what they're doing and what great leadership happens, you know, so many times. And and even this week, uh, they found Shackleton's uh, boat under the, uh, in Antarctica under the water that hadn't been seen as 200 feet down or 200 yards down. I can't remember 200 meters, but way down, but it's almost in pristine condition. And Shackleton's adventure, the, the name of the book is called The Endurance, which is the name of the ship was one of the first um, real books I read about true leadership when those guys got out and they were trying to be the first ones to the center of Antarctica. And there was a race on at the time. It was in the late 1800s, if I remember right. There was a big race to get to the center. And Shackleton and his guys got out there and they got trapped in the ice and their boat could not move, and eventually their boat got crushed, and those guys were out on the ice 
for years. I mean, no, it was rough. And trying to get back and get those, the guys in the most inhospitable place on earth. And if you want to read an amazing book, I, I remember reading it and going chapter by chapter going, oh my gosh, they, oh my, are you kidding me? Especially when they, when Shackleton had to leave his guys and cross one of the worst uh, oceans on earth, the, uh, I think it's called the Drake Drake Strait or something, where it's not uncommon to have 90-foot swells. And he was in an open boat, like like a big open boat, to try to get uh, to this whaling station to find somebody. And even where he had, you normally people didn't cross the island from what they called the backside because it was almost, they've tried, people have tried to cross that in today's gear and today's all their stuff and they can't cross it and at the time that Shackleton crossed it to get to the whaling station I mean he was just wearing like some you know seal furs and some you know fur shoes and just and he crossed some of the nastiest you know terrain on earth to save his guys and so I highly recommend that well maybe I'll do a a book report on that but let's start with extreme ownership in this book, um, you know, these two Navy SEALs, they start off talking about what it's like to go to be in a, a Navy SEAL. And we've seen a lot of that stuff. But, you know, one of the things, one of the first things that stood out is that if you're going to really have extreme ownership, you have to own the whole process. And so it was talking about, um, you know, you must train first you must mentor second and then you kind of have to remove them if they're not gaining in part of the of the thing but at any point if they're on your team you have to be training fixing them assessing them either watching them get up or get worse and then get rid of them or promote them and uh, that is one of the things it's very hard for us to do as business owners is the training isn't too hard. A lot of people have training process. A lot of people don't. But training is one thing. But the next steps of really holding people accountable in the right way and then honestly removing them if they aren't, for me, is one of the hardest things because a lot of times it's not like that cut and dry. Uh, Kent, my chief financial or chief operations officer, is is more cut and dry like that. You know, he's he realizes that, you know, some people hold you back, even with their best intentions, even with their best personalities or the good people. They're actually holding you back in an area that um, they feel like they're doing all they can. But when you get somebody else in there, you realize that they were just doing their best that they could. And a lot of this is, you know, the Peter principle. And I, I think a lot of people know the Peter principle, but you may not. And uh, let me see if I, I'm going to see if I can read it for you real quick. So I won't read the whole thing, but the Peter principle is a concept in management developed by Lawrence J. Peter, which observes that people in a hierarchy tend to rise to a level of respective incompetence. Employees are promoted based on their success in previous jobs until they reach a level at which they are no longer competent, as skills in one job do not necessarily translate to another. And so there's a book on it, The Peter Principle, William Morrow and Company. And 
um, it became very, you know, very popular. And there's some people that argue with it, but still, I think the the concept is right. And uh, that happens a lot with us because an employee comes through and they do great. They one don't want to keep doing what they were great at because they're doing hopefully doing great to have another role yet when you roll them into it they might not be competent at all and they may run into their bandwidth or their you know their methods you know basically hold back the company or even themselves and and I find that happens quite a bit it's happened almost at every step in my company somebody we grow a lot so they roll into at some point, some level of incompetence. And I personally have done that too. As I was growing the company and I got to a certain level, I couldn't get it to go any further, but I knew there was still a lot of stuff to do. I just didn't know it what it was. Some owners can't get their, their self out of the way to recognize it and do the things needed to go to the next level. They just keep trying to add more or try to learn more. And for me, at that point where I got stuck and it was stressful, really not making money, although we had a high revenue number, I realized I needed help from outside. And every one of my systems was was really broken at the $5 million mark, just to give you a, a frame of reference where we were. And so I had a part-time CFO, and he got us from, you know, from $600,000 to $5 million. I had a, a bookkeeper that did that. I had a general manager that did that. And a lot of us went to a certain level and then we got and then we got stuck. And I realized I had to bring somebody in that ha- had a much higher level of incompetence. In other words, they had a higher bandwidth till they fail. Everybody has this. This is not some person or some bad person. Everybody develops to their level of incompetence and they decide whether they want to change it, get more training uh, or what, whatever it is. But as the owner, uh, well, you have to see when this is happening. Sometimes it's hard. Uh, so that's happened at every level. It's happened to me. It's happened to all different people in my business. And at some point I have to replace them. And then when you do, it's, pretty hard. Like I remember losing when I had to cut loose of my part-time CFO and a new full-time guy came in there. Well, that was very contentious. Years later, he came back and he was like, man, that was a good call. Whatever you did when you switched me out has been amazing. And that was awesome. And then when I got my chief operations officer, my general manager didn't like that switch. And, you know, that person felt out of it and not part of it because she had developed it to her level of incompetence, but she couldn't see it. They more like, here's how it happens. If anybody ever says, I liked it when it was smaller, I liked it when we were, when we were back then, that's, they've hit their level of incompetence. They just have, um, or, you know, there's a level of frustration. So I, as a matter of course, never say that. Because we had problems back then, too. They just don't remember them, or people have a, a tendency to remember history in a different way and put more gloss over it when it was back then, it was better. It wasn't. Everybody had the same problems. The one thing I can gauge for sure is that they make more money now than they did. They actually work less than they did. But we have a lot of middle management people that you know, we took from one place to another, and, and sometimes they, they take us a while down the road, and sometimes they don't. And uh, that's kind of where I am this week is just reassessing 
our break our break points. I can tell you there's one guy for sure in my company that has never seen he's be, he's been able to move through it at every level that I've put on him, which is our metal fabrication manager, Wes. Wes started as a subcontractor for me. Then he got really tired of that. He had to come on full time as a sweep. He got tired of that. He moved to metal fabrication and he grew to a certain level where he did it all himself and didn't want to hand it off to anybody. Then he started, you know, he brought in one guy and then two guys and three guys. And then he said he wanted to, then we moved to the powder coating operation. He manages that and, and the metal fabrication. So he's got about 10 people under him. And now he really enjoys managing people, but he manages them. He's on their behind if they're messing up. He's nice when he needs to be. He can be an absolute tyrant when needed. And he's got a heck of a culture going over there of guys who really, he's learning to lead. And it's neat to see him just keep growing and expanding and able to handle more and more. And he figures it out. Now, sometimes when he figures it out, it's a firestorm. But man, he figures it out and goes to the next level. And I really like watching him grow as a leader. So back to chapter one, you know, we must own the whole process, train, mentor, then remove, if not gaining ground. Um, for me, um, I want my estimators to truly take, take uh, responsibility for the whole sales process all the way through. If they sell a chimney a, a chimney repair and they, they and they've sold it to the customer a lot of times right now we were handing it off to a project manager and calling the estimator if needed but then you know giving it to a repair crew and the repair crew, crew tries to do it and this week it really hit me rubbed me wrong because i was talking to one of the repair crew guys and he was back early i said what happened you had a decent masonry job today he's like yeah i had the wrong color mortar he said the estimator put white on, you know, white as the color. So we went out there with white, but it was ivory and it did not match and customer didn't want it. I said, well, did you call the estimator? He said, yeah. I said, well, what did he say he would do for you? And he said, well, he, he said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. I said, that's not enough. Like you've lost your whole days of work. And again, the estimator, it's, this isn't a thing on the estimator. This is a thing on what he thought was right. Now, to me, and now in this in this uh, extreme ownership, what's really right is first step is what can I do to make your job go right? Can I go get, you know, can I go get that mortar for you? What can I do to make it right right now so we don't lose the day? Secondly, that estimator was making a commission on that sale, right? Well, if if your job, if you mess up your job. One of the things I think you should do is offer to give the guy your commission on it. If you didn't do your job all the way through and he falls down, you got to own that. So I really want my estimators to really be tied in to the repair crew's success all the way through. Really be tied into it. So we've changed some stuff up this week about how the morning process goes. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops. Uh, and so that was really kind of chapter one. There's a lot of prefaces, but it's really, he talks about some people who got killed. He talks about um, what they called a blue on blue, which is unfortunately one, one SEAL team was attacking another SEAL team and didn't realize it. And they, one of the Iraqi, um, you know, soldiers there that was kind of helping the Americans got killed going in on a on a, another SEAL team, and it was a real mess, and it became a big deal for them. 
And at the end of chapter one, you know, Jocko Wilnick, who's he's really famous now. He's been on Joe Rogan's got his own shows. He's really somebody to listen to. He had to own it all the way through because one of the radio commanders wanted to own it. And he said, nope, it's not you. And several people on his team tried to own why this thing happened and why they moved in on each other. And it was just a series of, of catastrophes that led to could have been a lot worse. But at the end of the day, Jocko owned the whole thing. And it was really interesting how he did it. It was so funny that I'm reading this. And yesterday, I go to a customer's house because we had a problem. We absolutely messed up this job, mainly in the fact of how long it took us to figure out how to make it right. Cause, and I can have all the excuses. It started back in, I think, September. We went out there. We estimated. We inspected a chimney. We found a gap in the pipe. There's a, it's a metal pipe, what's called a prefab. The, the pipe was not seated right in the, out of this elbow, this kind of offset where it bends around something else. We thought maybe we could go on top of the chimney and push the pipe down and relock it in because it has these teeth on it that grab. We tried that. It would not go in. It would not lock in place. So we had to get down into the chimney. Found out the builder had put way these pipes way too close to the wood and all the problems there was no way to do it so when we ordered a new stove for him a new fireplace with what we thought was smaller pipe my guy read the pipe size wrong and it was actually slightly bigger than the pipe we were said was too big so we get out there and all this is through covid all the delays of the fireplaces my technicians all of them got covid right around the time too they were out and so this guy waited forever for to get through our problems. And then when we finally had it right, it wouldn't fit. And he was livid. And I don't blame him at all. I'm like, man, we have absolutely, you know, we've botched this thing all the way through, mainly in communication. But then secondly, when we ordered it, it was wrong. So I'm out at his house and he... You know, my technician is trying to take the fall for it. He's like, hey, I'm sorry. This is my fault. I I really messed up. Mark gave me the order to order this thing, and I ordered the wrong one. And it, and the guy turned to me, and he, goes, or he turned to him, and he goes, it's not your fault. It's his fault. And he points right at me. He's like, at the end of the day, he's the business owner, and the buck has to stop with him, and it is his fault. And I said, <laughs> I said, You're so, it's so funny you said because it's exactly right. It's exactly what I've been saying. At the end of the day, my name is on the business. You may come and go. You may be here for a while. You may be here the rest of your life. But at the end of the day, it's my name on it. I have to buy the mistakes. I have to, I have to eat the crow. I have to fix it. And I'm going to fix it. I'm absolutely going to fix this process. So anyway. It was interesting that this first part was Extreme Ownership 101 for me yesterday. So then in Chapter 2, they, they t I think the name of it is no, There's No Bad Teams, Only Bad Leadership. And in Chapter 2, he talks about these what they call boat teams where they you've probably seen it where these guys run in these teams they put this big rubber boat on their head and they run with it and sometimes it's got water in it and they've got to live with that boat on their head and it just wears them all out and so they're in these teams that do all these relays and runs and tests and trials and out in the boat and back in the boat and run around with the boat and um the teams if you win 
what you get as a win is a little bit of rest. You get to sit down, you get to eat food, you get to do something and you rest a little bit. And then the guys who don't win or get last have no rest. They just keep them under pressure. And so therefore you've already lost and they're making you more tired and more upset. It starts to become and it is a test of the leader of the boat crews. So every boat crew has a leader that's assigned or elected. I'm not sure how the, the leader becomes a leader, but what starts to happen is the one boat crew that wins all the time wins all the time, just keeps winning because they get more rest, they get more praise, they work as a team, and that leader looks brilliant. And then the last place, place boat team leader is looking like a failure He's like, man, all my guys suck. They can't do it. They're weak. They're small. They're whatever. So then in this contest, in this week, then the, the drill sergeants flip the leaders. They put the leader of the best boat team on the worst boat team. And they put the leader of the worst boat team on the best boat team. Well, you can imagine the guy on the best boat team going to the worst said, oh, my God, this, this is not fair. It's terrible. Now I've got these scrubs and I'm going to look bad. And the guy who had the worst team said, yeah, I got the superstars. I'm leading. It's like being Tom Brady when he left and now you lead the Patriots, you know. And so, you know, in this case, he um, but what was amazing was almost instantly the leader of the worst, you know, the leader of the best that went to the worst, the worst boat team started winning. In fact, won right away. And the, the leader of the worst boat team who had the best now was coming in second and I think even sometimes third. But it was all about, you know, the leadership, not the people. And the leader and the morale and all that started to build up in the worst boat team, and they became the best boat team. There's another book that's very similar to that called It's Your Ship. I can't remember the guy's name, but he took on the worst boat in the Navy, the worst, the most embarrassing you know, battleship in the Navy. And he took it over, and it became the boat of the Navy. Everybody, and when he got in, he realized it had a poor morale, None of the small standards were taken care of. All the little stuff wasn't being done. And I talked about it recently where we're going to prosecute small crimes. I'm going back to get a grip on this at all the little stuff. The uniforms, the cleanliness, the trucks, like all the little stuff I'm going to fix, the timeliness of getting in, all of the stuff, the little things that you got to do right first before you can do the big things right. And I kind of miss that as I'm growing a business. I, you know, I, I think you understand on this podcast, some of this is just me learning in real time. And I'm trying to translate what I learned and hopefully it can help you. Or if you're going through it, you know that I went through it too. Uh, I hope nobody thinks, and I don't think they do, that I've got this whole thing figured out and it's all working magically every week. It doesn't. It's a fight every day. Every day there's something. Now, obviously, some days are better than others, but there's something in the day or sometimes a bunch of stuff in the day that I have to fix, get over, eat crow on, take a beating on, and it's stressful. And it's it's not like I sit back and get my, you know, kick my feet up and here comes the money. Well, not only do I do it in chimneys, I have several other businesses that I've decided to, you know, expose my uh, self to where when things go wrong and they go wrong in all business. That's just what business is. It's just fixing problems. And, you know, I, I think I've talked about our 
powder coating operation, there's real friction between the owner the stepping out and us coming in. He's actually coming to my shop tomorrow to meet with us, see our business and, and have a meeting with us. And it could be contentious, but it can also be, I'm going to make sure it's good because he hasn't really done anything wrong. He's just not used to it. It's like watching your kid drive the car at 16. You're worried he's or she's not doing it right. There's a great chance she's going to wreck because they don't know what they're doing. And he sees us kind of like that. Now, hopefully it'll it'll be a good meeting. But back to the book, you know, it's no bad teams, only bad leadership. And, you know, I have people come in to my Blue Collar University all the time. And they do all the right things. But the problem is... I don't think people can follow them and I don't know how to say that to them. And I don't know if, I don't know if it's true because, um, you know, I don't know how many people are following them now or what it's like in their business. But if there's anything you've got to make sure you're good at, it's leadership and leadership is a fine balance of care, compassion, and hammer at the right time. You, and, and you can't just be nice all the time and you can't be a jerk all the time. It's gotta be a good balance. And this week, this last week, I had to start tightening up and be the jerk for a while. I said, guys, I've been nice for a very long time. I've tried to I've tried to give you guys a lot of trust and a lot of openness and trust you with it. And I'm going to have to take that back and fix it. And I can tell you, just in a couple of days, our, our business feels different. It feels different than last week. It feels a lot better. The guys are, are, are doing a lot better quickly. And I've got a long way to go. There's I'm not at all done and we've just started this this process so tomorrow we might have a rain day we're going to pull the guys in there's an area the sh- there's a big area of shop we've got to work on because we just have to work on it. and then the girls are going to be cleaning the office and i'm just going to a reset right now and just going hey we went through busy season we're all tired taking a break right now doesn't really help because the work piles up when you get back so what we're going to do is just change change your brain change what you're doing, change the look of things, make it look cleaner, make it look brighter, take some pride in where you work again and, and build morale through actually through work. And so, um, to finish up in chapter two, he also talked about having a tortured genius problem. And this is when he rolled in the businesses, the, the lessons into businesses, you know, when he works with businesses and he was working with this one company that had this uh, chief information officer that was basically a torture genius. He's so much better than everybody he works with that, you know, he's basically held down by all these slow-moving, stupid people. And when uh, Jocko or Leif, I can't remember which it was, kind of identified the torture genius, they're like, that's a problem. And I've had a torture, a couple torture geniuses that were that worked for me where every they they were fine, but everybody else was not fine. And if you ever find yourself with a tortured genius in your business, you can't fix them. You can't help them. You have to move them out because they are absolutely almost unmovable and unchangeable. I had one a few years ago who was a very talented person, absolutely super talented, could do anything yet was critical of everyone. And everyone felt that he felt like he was better than everyone. And when he talked about anybody, including me behind my back, he had it all figured out. And it was really, if everybody would just do what he said, everything would be fine. Or if everybody was as good as him, everything would be fine. 
And I remember when I was when he was really struggling to work for me because I don't work like that. I work in a little bit of chaos to, and I fix chaos where some of these guys want it to be all fixed and no chaos. I, it will never be like that working for me. And uh, I told him, I said, the problem is you feel like you're you're better than everybody. And you may not say that and you won't admit it, but you feel like that. Or you feel like you're better than 99% of the people and not willing to get down in there and either teach them, get to know them or help them. You just kind of have to do it and realize you're better than them. I said, that attitude is going to follow you through your whole life. You're, you're not going to be able to work anywhere because you're going to be the guy who's better than all them. As soon as you figure out whatever it is you're going to learn, you'll feel like you're better and smarter than them. And you're doomed. I said, that'll actually probably hurt your marriage too if you have that in in your marriage. And so sure enough, when he quit, and I think he's bounced to like seven jobs since mine. I think mine was maybe the longest job he had because he was the torture genius. He just could not, you know, he just couldn't, everybody just wasn't as good as him. And, uh, I don't have those guys now. I don't, I don't feel like I have any torture geniuses. I have guys that want to do more or think they could do more, but they're not the torture geniuses. They're, they're, and Kent has done a good job for us is finding really good people, smart people that are, that want something different in their life and are willing to work for it. And I think that's the key to hiring. So, all right, guys, I hope you enjoyed part one, chapters one and two of Extreme Ownership. I probably am going to stay on this for a while, and you can probably follow along if you want. I'll, I'll do chapters three and four next week. Uh, next week, I have uh, neck surgery. I'm a little, I've got to be honest with you, I'm a little worried about it because they're going to, I've got, got a disc replacement in my neck. It's been bothering me for months. I've talked about it, but they got to go in and cut that disc out between, I think it's it's in the C7 range of my neck, kind of like right above, right below your Adam's apple. They got to go through the front and replace that disc. It sounds, I think it sounds worse than it is, but it's probably pretty bad too. You know, the surgeon assured me, and he wasn't trying to get me to do surgery because you really don't have a choice. You've ruptured your disc so bad that it's out into your spinal column. And it's causing my left arm to completely lose all the muscle in it and get weak and numb and a lot of pain, kind of constant pain. So I'm looking forward to being out of pain and being able to work out again and all that. And um, so I think I will be able to do the podcast and shows next week, but I'm not 100% for sure because they kind of got to move your trachea a little bit to the side to get to it. He's, and that's what makes you so sore is they got to push everything inside. I think I'll be able to talk. I think I'll be able to do it, but I'll let you know. So thank you for being patient with me. I really appreciate it. We're approaching 50,000 listens. I looked at the stats. We're at 49,000 something, which is you know pretty amazing. And uh, we got a pretty good reach. Most like 97, 96% are U.S. and about 4% are over in Europe and England and all that. And I get some. The other week I got a couple of my messages were from England people. So I, I appreciate everybody over there. I think we need to pray for Ukraine. And um, guys, I'll, I'll talk to you next week. See you. Thanks for listening to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or any place that you listen to podcasts. More information is also available at markstoner.com.